Well, good morning again, everybody. Welcome. So let's see um, how cultured everybody is. Do you guys know the statement, um, to thine own self be true? Have you heard that before? All right. Who penned those famous words? Shakespeare. Okay, now for mass, for, for big, uh, for big uh, points, who knows uh, what's that from? Hamlet. Someone said, who said Hamlet? I was like, Hamlet. All right, good job. And then for ultimate points, do you know who actually said it in Hamlet? Who, who said that? Oh my goodness. Star student, Kate. Nice job. I love it. I had to like Wikipedia Hamlet. I was like, what's going on here? I've heard that once, but I didn't pay attention. Well, what's interesting is I love that to, right, to above all to thine own self be true. Like, oh, that is an anthem, right? That should be like tattooed of our bodies and painted on our door frame. I mean, it is really the way in which we live to thine own self be true. And when I think about my guts and who I am, like there's parts of me that are super noble, right? To my, to my own self be true. Who do I want to be, man? I want to be in shape. I want to be healthy. I want to love my wife. I want to love my kids. I want to make a difference in the world, right? To thy own self be true. I'm like, yes. But if we're honest, if we lift up the hood in our, the car of our life, we open up and we look into the engine, we realize who are we talking about here? Which version of ourselves we should be? That picture is a picture of a Bruce Banner from the Marvel movies, if you know him, right? He's this gentle and kind scientist who's brilliant. And uh, through however the Marvel works, he ends up being the Incredible Hulk, right? And then the whole rest of the Marvel world is that Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk both are the same person, right? To thine own self be true. But what version of ourselves are we talking about? And this is the challenge. This is the tension. And what's interesting is all humans, this isn't a Christian problem. This is a human problem. Every human everywhere in the world for all of time have wrestled with this weird thing that, that we're made in the image of God, that we have this nobility, that we're strong and powerful and beautiful and capable of so many incredible things. And yet there's this part of us that is just dark and broken and selfish and prideful and vengeful and are capable of so many evils. And we actually have to think that because we, if we just think to above all, to thine own self be true, which version of us are we talking about? And that's what we're going to wrestle down this morning. So we are in the second part of this three-part series of um, the enemies of our soul. And so for the last two weeks, we talked about the devil. And the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the flesh. And this week, uh, we're going to look kind of at the theological understandings of what is the world. When we talk about the flesh, what does that mean? How is that an enemy of our soul? And then next week, we're going to do kind of more of an application. Like, oh, gosh, how do we get that thing under control? But I like this. The, the flesh, this is how we're going to look at it. It's basically life without the power of God. That if we are left totally to our own devices, we just let our flesh get after it. What in the world is happening? Well, to begin this whole series, we started in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and the following its desires and thoughts. So this is the passage is kind of this anchor that says, we didn't just make up the devil, the flesh, the world, that this passage comes right out of Ephesians and theologians for 2,000 years have kind of drilled down and said, yes, 
There is the kingdom of the world. I mean, the ways of the world, there's a ruler of the air, and then there's the cravings of the flesh. And what I love is everyone gives the Bible a hard time because it's really harsh. We're going to look at some really challenging scriptures. But every challenging scripture we look at has this incredible backdrop. So that's the, that's the hard part, right? Then it goes on. This is how this passage wraps up. It says this, but like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. Bad news. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is grace by which you have been saved. Amen and amen. And so as we, uh, as we hop into this, uh, this, this look at the flesh, it, I've been wrestling all week because when we talk about the devil, like it's interesting, it's theologically interesting, it's spiritually interesting, and it's this thing out there. When we start talking about the flesh, now we're talking about us, this thing in here. And there's no way to avoid stepping on somebody's toes this morning. And so we just need to have grace for each other. And what I love is in every one of these passages of scripture, it always ends with, oh my goodness, right? But as God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, that even when we are dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that we've been saved. So to, just to recap, this, this is the devil's strategy. We talked about this for the last couple of weeks, right? That he wants to give us deceitful ideas, right? He lies to us that play to our disordered desires. And so that's what we're talking about today, the, our flesh. We have all these desires. We're either Bruce Banner or we're the Incredible Hulk or we're back and forth. What is happening with our desires? How do we order those things out? But what ends up happening, these lies play these disordered desires that end up becoming normalized in a sinful society, which is the world in which we live in. And these three powers war at our soul. And we don't want to ward our soul. We want to be God's people to bring grace and mercy to a world that desperately needs it. So to begin with, we're going to look at what are we talking about when we say the word flesh. So the word flesh in the Greek is sarkos. And um, that's just means flesh. Exactly what you would think. This is what's so fun about the Bible. Um, it's written in Hebrew and in Greek. And for the most part, right, when the word is translated, it's like flesh Sarcos. It's pretty easy. So you can actually like trust the Bible has to say these things. But just like um, in the English language, words are complex, have a variety of nuance and meanings. And the same is true for this word, sarcos. So one is the flesh, which what do you think that means? If you had to think, what does flesh mean? If you had to guess, what would be the definition of flesh? Body. Yeah. See, it's not that hard. It's exactly it. Thanks, Nancy. Right, so the flesh. So when it says in Matthew 19, this explains why a man should leave his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Sarkos, right? The body. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. Body, okay? It also means like humanity, not just my body, but it means all of our bodies. So Luke chapter 3, verse 6 um, says, and then all of God's people that all people, sarcos, will see the salvation from God. It also means ethnicity. In Philippians, right, Paul talks about that he gives no confidence to the flesh. He has this whole speech about that he's this epic Jewish guy. Excuse me, epic Jewish guy, but he doesn't put any confidence in his flesh in sarcos. And then the, 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 the one that we're going to look at this morning, which is the one that Paul talks about all the time, which is our cravings, our sinful passions, our corrupt desires, our fallen nature. Oh, so fun. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, the uh, fourth definition. So as we begin, this is a good way to think about it. Our, it, our, sarcos, our sarcos is our desires. They're just desires. They're, they're not good. They're not bad. But it's the base, animalistic, primal drives in us for self-gratification. 
Think about this. We're motivated at our very core for pleasure, for survival, for power. Those are just three natural things. They are in us, in the core of our being, and left unchecked, right, can cause all sorts of death and destruction. Augustine, who was a a brilliant uh, theologian in 400 AD, what I love is he said that he was such a kind way to say this. He says that we were made in love and for love, that we're lovers first and we're thinkers second. And actually what it is, is just that we have um, our disordered loves. So if you think about this, like we love sex, great. But if it's disordered, lust becomes a thing, right? Lust, when, when you, when you pay, take sex from its normal desire and you elevate it to a spot where it's not supposed to be, right, you get into trouble. You want to be made in the image of God and you want to have a high self-esteem. But if your high self-esteem ends up now crushing other people and your pride and ego take over, it becomes a disordered desire. And we, we all want jobs. We all need jobs. But if your job ends up taking, the, taking spot over your kids, Right? It's, a, it's a good thing, but taken in, a, in the wrong order is messed up. Does that make sense? So it's, a, so it's very basic. It's a disordered desire. And what's interesting is every human society, every religious group, every tribe, from everywhere all across human history, the smart people have gathered together and said, we need to find some strategy to reign in our desires. There has to be some strategy to order our desires because if everybody just does whatever they want, if we could just be Bruce Banner sometimes and the Incredible Hulk sometimes, and it doesn't matter when or how, then society does not function. Families do not function. And so every culture, every society, everywhere has found wisdom to put this in control. So the very first part is this idea that our desires in and of themselves are not sinful or not they are neutral. It's just about their disordered desires. So that's part of it. But there is a deeper understanding about our flesh because they're not, because in the Christian realm, so the whole non-Christian realm would agree that all of our desires are neutral and it's about ordering in them. In the Christian frame, and this is again, why I think people are not big fans of Christians because Christians say, actually, there's also something below us, below our desires that inform our desires that make it a little bit more gnarly, right? James chapter one, verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Second Peter chapter two, verse 10, right? says, talks about our corrupt desires that it's tied to rebellion and rebellion from authority. So it's not just these disordered desires. It's not just like, oh, I like sex too much, or I like my job too much, or I like money too much, or I like my self-esteem too much. It's not, that's not the problem. What we're saying is below all that, there's this rebellion, this rebellion against authority, this, this ego and pride that from the very beginning is what kind of set humanity off, this, off in the wrong course. It's this idea of, of self-rule. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? And while these are kind of harsh words, I think if we're honest, we open up the hood of our lives and say, to thy own self be true, we know that the incredible Hulk is in there somewhere. We know it to be true. We've seen what happens when that version of us gets uncorked and how it leads to death and destruction. This famous theologian and writer, A.W. Tozer says this, whenever we see confusion, we can be sure that something is wrong. Disorder in the world implies that something is out of place. Usually at the heart of all disorder, you will find man in rebellion against God. It began in the Garden of Eden and continues today. 
And I love this idea that we're, we're not rebels. Dude, we are rebels, right? You see a don't walk on the lawn, you're like, I am walking on the lawn. Don't mess with me. And if you don't think you're rebellious, just think about this. Think about what happens if when someone asks you, if you do it for yourself, then you're like, I'm so noble. But if someone compels you to restrain from a desire for the sake of something better or to sacrifice something for the sake of somebody else or submitting your will to someone you love or even to God, those words are awful. Restraint, ooh. sacrifice, submission, right? Those are all words that we don't want anything to do with. It, it pokes at something. If you choose to serve someone, then you're noble, right? But if you talk about, nope. If we come in, you're, you're having a challenge in your marriage, you come to my office, and you're like, actually, you should submit to each other. And you go, wives, submit to your husband, right? Immediately, every woman here is like, so mad at me. Well, just the next verse says, husbands, submit to your wives too. But isn't that weird? There's this rebellion thing. So we just have to own it. We have these disordered desires. Rebellion is a thing. So what in the world are we going to do about it? Well, here's what's fascinating. Every culture, like I said, has an answer to this question. So first, let's look at this. Our current culture has an answer to the flesh. And here it is. Um, that our culture, right, we're in full deconstruction. We're in our authenticity is what's most important. Authenticity. There's no more duty. There's no more honor. There's no more sacrifice. You need to be true to you, right? Our self, not God, is now the center of all authority. And here's three quick things about that. One, think about this. Boundaries and rules are oppression from the outside. You talk to any high school kid, any system or structure or power from the outside that's giving them rules, that is oppression, but what about the desires that they want to do, but they feel guilty about doing? Well, then that's re repression, right? It's everything is framed that they need to be, to thine own self be true. They need to be the Incredible Hulk. If they want to be the Incredible Hulk, they get to be the Incredible Hulk. And that is our culture is shouting that from the mountaintops. And it's interesting how we've made oppression and repression the number one things. But every culture has had outside influences and inside boundaries that have helped keep the Incredible Hulk at bay. I love this, that we're fascinated about how we feel, not by what we do or accomplish, but by how we feel. And I got in big trouble with my daughter about this because we watched uh, the Meghan Markle uh, documentary. And the whole time I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, um, this is the worst thing ever. Because I have these like old school sensibilities of duty and honor and structure. And like, like William, I'm sorry you're the second guy. I'm sorry you're the spare, but... You're a prince, man. Like, that, like, that's my nature. And my daughter's like, he's being oppressed by the system and she's being oppressed by the system. And we have this like giant fight, right? But it's crazy. Like, but Prince William is like, he's like the perfect picture of our current culture. He had all the duty, honor, wealth, privilege, everything. But what is so important was not his duty. It's him telling all the salacious details of all their weird dysfunctional family and just crying about it. And the book's going to make them sell more books than anyone ever ever will again. So, so here's the, the bottom line. I think we, this is the, the mantra that I do what I want and you have to deal with it. Happiness is about feeling good, not doing good. That's our cultural moment. And what's incredible is the fruit of that is I think what's most devastating. If the fruit of that was just like you do you, I do me, just don't hurt anybody else. But the, the, we are finding more and more the fruit of that is actually hurting people hurting themselves, right? The, this is the highest rate of anxiety and depression and suicide. 
Because when we have no rules, no boundaries, no accountability, no purpose, and we can just satisfy all of our base desires, our life gets so small and meaningless. And so there actually is a harm to it. And, it, and this is our cultural moment. And so what are we going to do about that? Good question. But before we talk about that, I just want to, again, make the point that every culture everywhere in the world has found somehow to deal with this. So this isn't like world bad, Christians good. This is just helpful to know every human in society has tried to figure out how to deal with this. So in the ancient world, um, Buddhist, uh, Buddha's Buddha, excuse me, was an ancient philosopher and he, and he crushed it, right? This is one of the things he said, in days gone by, by this mind of mine, used to stray wherever selfish desire or lust or pleasure would lead it. But today, this mind does not stray and is under the harmony of control, even as a wild elephant is controlled by the trainer. And if you've ever read any Buddha or ancient philosophy, right, you realize these guys spent a lot of time figuring out what is under the hood and what it takes to live a noble and virtuous life. Listen, these are some of the the virtues that that, um, Buddhist people do not do. And it sounds familiar. No killing, no stealing, excuse me, no sexual misconduct, no lying, no divisive speech, no harsh speech, no gossip, no greed or harmful intent or misunderstanding of yourself or the world. Pretty noble stuff because it turns out we're all made in the image of God. And because we're all made in the image of God, it would make sense that humans from all over the world would have the same sense and sensibilities of this noble person that they want to come out and all the brackets that they need to come and put around it. What's interesting is I've talked to a number of young men, and, uh, and there's, so the Buddhist is one lane. Uh, ancient uh, Stoicism is this thing that came around about 400 BC, or maybe 200 BC, and is making it a reemergence. And all these young guys are into it. They're all reading Marcus Aurelius, and uh, listen to this guy, Ryan Holiday, and, and it's making this comeback. And I'm like, what is happening here? And I realized, because for these young men who have been told they can just do whatever they want, and it turns out playing video games, watching porn, and just eating popcorn all day, every day, is not healthy. Like it seems fun when you're 17, but then you're doing the same thing for a decade and their lives are being diminished. Men's lives are being diminished. And stoicism is this answer, right? It's this way of having some control of putting brackets around these desires and living nobly. I mean, these are the, these are the values, wisdom and courage, justice and temperance. I mean, who doesn't want to be a stoic? Right? That is awesome. And the Pharisees did the same thing. Right? In Jesus' time, these guys, they, they obeyed the law. The, the, God gave them the law so that they would honor him, so that they would live these noble lives. And then the Pharisees added these extra fences, but they did, they lived these ways so they could be noble. They could, they did Bible memorization, they dressed a certain way, they ate a certain thing, they, they had certain rites, they had certain rituals, and they, they modified their behavior in such a way that they would honor God. And they would keep this base self, these animal desires, structured in the right way. Christian or not, man, if I could shout that from the mountaintop, wouldn't it be our world and our culture and you and I, we got to step back from the lie that we can be whoever we want to thine own self be true because that just leads to death and destruction. And we actually need behavior modification. We need the disciplines. We need to put the things in place to keep in check the Hulk. Now, here's what's awesome. And this is why I'm not just a philosopher uh, 
but because I love Jesus and give my whole life to the church, because Jesus has a very unique way of tackling this problem of our flesh. Because while behavior modification matters, it is important to put the boundaries and brackets on around our life. Jesus says, but he's not totally interested in behavior modification because you don't need Jesus to have wisdom and courage and justice and temperance. But if we want to be healed and whole and transformed lives and have not just have courage, but have love and joy and peace and patience, well, we need something totally different because we can, anyone can white knuckle it and be a good person in the worldly sense and lock down their flesh. But Jesus says, no, we want you to be transformed people. So this is Jesus's answer to the flesh. So what I need is everybody for the last few minutes here, take out your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter five. And we're just going to walk through this little passage of scripture here. And um, it's going to be a little gnarly because like I said, scripture is super clear and blunt. And uh, the best part about it though, is it always ends with good news. I love that. Bad news first though. Amen, Amber, for that part. Okay, good. Okay, good. All right, so here we are, Galatians chapter 5. And so we're going to read briefly 13 to 24. So we'll start with verse 13 to 15. It says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Amen to that. Right? To thine own self be true. That's the way that God wired us. We are to be free. That is God's dream for us. So these rules, figuring out how to control our bodies, figure out how to be connected to Christ, this isn't This isn't some big ruse to live under oppression or repression. This is so that you can be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another. I think I complain about my weight every fifth time and I, how much I hate running. And this is just my own personal garbage. But what's funny is for, it's been almost what, 15 years, for 15 years, I've run almost 20 miles a week. I know it doesn't look like it because I also love burritos, but I run, that's how much I run every single week. And I hate running. And a, a few years ago, someone said, well, why in the world do you run if you hate it? Mariah loves it. I hate it, right? But the reason why I run that much not just because I want to fit into my clothes, but the true reason is because if any one of you says, hey, let's go on this adventure. If Cochran goes, dude, let's go on a bike ride. If Patrick says, let's go backpacking. Someone says, I'm going to go, go climb Mount Rainier. Let's go surfing. Whatever the thing is, I want to be like, let's go. I don't want to be like, give me six months, get my act together and I can figure it out. <laughs> right? There's a baseline. I don't indulge my flesh. I actually beat my flesh, I control my flesh so that I am free to do all these things that I may want to do one day. In the very simple way, I don't one day just be like, I'm going to be this noble, godly person who's going to love and serve people. That's not how it works. We do all the spiritual disciplines. We don't indulge our flesh. We don't indulge our passions, our desires, our lusts, our need for survival and power. We don't indulge those things. Then all of a sudden, you hear a sermon or, or God puts in your heart, go serve this person. You're like, I can't serve them. I can't give up that money. I can't give up that time. No, we do the disciplines. We don't indulge the flesh. We do these things so that when God says, hey, I'm ready for you to serve this way. I'm ready for you to give this way. I'm ready for you to be this person. We're like, I'm ready. That's what we do. That's why these things matter that we we stay connected to Christ. We get our flesh under control and we are connected to the spirit. Paul goes on to say this. 
So I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the spirit. So you are now not under the law. And what's so funny is I think we forget that our flesh and spirit are in conflict. Jesus says, love your neighbor, love your enemy, forgive one another. My pride in the culture says, you don't need to forgive them. Do you know what they did to you? In fact, I was so convicted last week. I was meeting with somebody and they're totally growing in their faith. And they're getting ready to go on this adventure with, with, their, with their wife. And he's like, but you know what? There's a coworker and they hurt my wife and I so bad. They, like, they vacationed together and then they hurt them. And he's like, but they still work together and they had to make it work. And I'm like, he did what? No way. Give me, tell me his address. I'm going to throw a brick through his window. Like, I'm like, I'm all justice, man. Like, I'm ready to like throw, have this guy's back because that's noble, right? To have justice and to have this person's back. But the law of the spirit goes, no, those are in conflict. And I felt so convicted because he's like, no, I think God wants me to forgive him. I'm like, whoa. Now you know that guy's connected to the spirit because no one just wakes up one day and goes, I need to forgive the person that wronged me. That is not normal. That is a fruit of the spirit, right? Controlling your anger so you don't punch someone's face off. Like that's the flesh. That's, that's controlling the flesh. Needing to forgive somebody is the spirit. So we need to know that those things are in conflict. Once we know those things are in conflict, then we know how to prepare ourselves. We know how to walk through. All right. Before we go to this next part, I need you to grab a white card right in front of you. Okay, so grab a white card right in front of you. And uh, because Paul really quickly is going to say, hey, this is the fruit of the flesh. So we all know what our desires are. We all know what disordered desires are. And, um, but what ends up happening is what is the fruit? What happens if you let your disordered desires get unchecked? It is gnarly. Um, sorry, Logan, we're on the third one now. We're going to be in verse uh, 19. Yep. And what's interesting is, we live in a context in a moment where we are totally numbed out to what our flesh does. And we have these incredible little pocket computers that have access to every single thing in the entire world that can distract us and keep our dopamine levels hit at all the time. And so we're distracted. And so we don't even know how numb we are. It's like we've been eating McDonald's chicken McNuggets all day for 10 years. And then someone gives you this beautiful heirloom tomato and you're like, that has no flavor because you're so used to sodium and all the, the goodness that they put in chicken McNuggets, right? Well, the flesh is the same way. When we just let our flesh be unchecked for our whole life, we miss out on the sensitivity of the spirit. And Paul goes and says, this is what happens when you let that flesh just run rampant. This is the fruit. So I'm going to just walk through the fruits of the flesh. And this is what you're going to do. And what I would do is I'd wait. Wait till you get a couple away and then come back and write it down because you don't want to be judged by the person next to you. But it would be helpful to think about <laughs> what part of this flesh is unchecked in me? Did I forget is at war in me? Have I given a little too much power and authority and control over? And like I said, remember it so I get two or three down, then you can write that one down, okay? But Paul goes and listens to this list. So he says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he has this giant list that I wrote out here. This is the, they're obvious. Sexual immorality. Think of this, the whole range of sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage, including your thought life. Don't write that one down right now because that makes the person next to you judge. But I mean, that, that's a lot of stuff. Imagine letting that be unchecked. Impurity, moral defilement, 
filthiness of heart. What an awesome way to think about that. Everything on TikTok right now. Uh, Debauchery. Absence of restraint, indecency, excessive indulgence, and sensual pleasures. Idolatry is the admiration or revenge, or sorry, the admiration or reverence of something other than God, nature, self, people, money. Uh, goes on to say witchcraft, magic, psychics, hallucination, uh, hallucinatory, hallucinatory drugs, hatred. Extreme negative attitude, which may be open or concealed. That's the hard part. Open hatred. You guys are good Marin people, but in your guts, that's a different thing. Discord, quarrels, persistent contention, the spirit of being um, antagonistic. Goes on to say jealousy. I love the Greek word for this is to be hot or to boil. It's feeling threatened or fearful of losing what you have because of who somebody else is or what somebody else has. Isn't that incredible? Because of somebody else, you feel threatened because of them. Fits of rage, explosions of rage from a vindictive heart, an ungovernable temper, a volcano, selfish ambition. Defined this way, extreme selfishness, the desire to be number one, no matter the cost, building up your expense, building up yourself at the expense of others. Here's a brutal trick or test. Think how often you make slight digs at other people. Not mean, because you guys are super noble and we're Marin people and we know how to like talk because we're good culture people. But think how often you make just the subtlest dig to clarify, well, you know, they blah, blah, blah. You just kind of step on them. Selfish ambition. Dissensions and factions. Standing apart, discord, disunity, division. It's the opposite of unity and the lack of interest in reconciliation. That I think was was interesting. Of course there's going to be divisions. Of course there's going to be challenge. But the complete lack or interest of reconciliation. Envy. The painful feeling of of wanting what somebody else has possessions or attributes. So jealousy, right, is feeling threatened by somebody else. Envy is just wanting what somebody else has. Drunkenness, the intentional or habitual intoxication. And we're like, oh, it's not habitual. It's not that much, right? Think of our wine consumption. We love wine, alcohol in general, marijuana, coping. I mean, we think of, we, we actually are super content with being intoxicated, Imagine just being fully unbound by that desire and the, and the fruit of that. And then he goes on and says, orgies and the like. I spent a lot of my week studying up on that one. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. So that's the bad news. That's the fruit. That's what happens when we just let the whole inside of us be untethered. Those are things that are going to bear the fruit. And there are all sorts of disciplines, behavior management, tricks, and tools that we can use to lock those things down. All cultures everywhere have done that. But here is the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 25 says this, right? Jesus says this earlier. He says, you will know a tree by its fruit. Even the most disciplined person is like, wow, that's a disciplined person. Somebody who is a disciplined person and connected to Christ. Listen to this. This is what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit. So right, the fruit of the law, 
are those awful things, but this is the fruit of the Spirit. When you get your behaviors under control, you have the disciplines to lock down and lock up the Hulk, and you begin to connect to Christ as this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are awesome things. Those are things you can't even try to do. You can't be like, I'm going to be more patient. That's not how it works. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more patient. That's not how it works. You're connected to Christ. Jesus grows through his Holy Spirit in you and produces fruit. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, here's the last thing I want to say. John 15, verse 1 through 5, we talk about this all the time at our church, right? Jesus says that I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. The gardener, right, he goes and he prunes off all of the, the dead leaves, all things that don't produce fruit so that you can produce fruit. That's my brief paraphrase because I'm already like five minutes over. Um, so here's the pro tip. There's two things that we want to do based on John uh, 15, verse 1 through 5. And, and Paul just said in Galatians, right, that we crucify the flesh. To get our flesh under control, we just need to be honest with ourselves. It's work. You don't just pray about not, you know, letting your desires get a hold of you. You crucify the flesh. It is a daily discipline to behavior management of getting your incredible Hulk guy under control. Now, it's different in the Christian world. Be, good behaviors aren't an identity thing. Right? So that's where like, Christians have messed up. You do good things, you're a good person. That's not how it works. We work hard and we crucify our flesh. We prune off the things that don't bear fruit so that the fertile soil is ready for the most important thing. So there is some things that we need to do to lock down, to put control around, to put parameters around, right? Quit drinking a certain amount. Quit watching so much TV. Wake up at a certain time. These are things like put some parameters around the internet. Those are boundaries that we do. We crucify the flesh. But the money is this pro tip for the joy of living in the spirit that we connect to Christ. Our whole energy, our whole effort is we connect to Christ. If you're trying to put effort into being more like Christ, to love Christ, to love uh, people, to be more patient, to be more generous, that's all wrong. All of your active energy is about connecting to Christ, being connected to the Holy Spirit. And then when you're connected to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit's power of healing and forgiveness and transformation well up within you and you bear fruit. A tree is not like, oh, please, can I grow an apple? That's not how trees work. Trees are connected and they grow apples. And so if we want to get our flesh under control, there are some actions we do. Those actions have no bearing on your soul, no bearing on your place at our church, no bearing on if God loves you or not. Those are things that simply all of humanity has done to put controls in their life so the Incredible Hulk is tamed. That's one thing. But what we do is then make sure we're connected to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit mold us and shape us and transform us. And that means that we will be God's people We will be salt. We will be light. We will be capable of extending grace and mercy to this world. Not because we're going to try about it, but because God's going to do that in us and through us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the band out. And during this next worship song, if you wrote something on a little card that represents your flesh, that represents the part of your life that is a little out of control, that you want to confess, like I love Michael's prayer of confession. That's what we're talking about. 
But during this next song, I'd love for you to come up as just an act of worship of saying, nope, at least for today, I am crucifying this. I am pruning this. I am putting this aside so that I can be free to connect with Christ. So during this next song, anytime that you can come forward and do that, let me pray for us. And so let's stand together and let me pray. And then we'll wrap up our time in worship. Heavenly Father, and our gracious God, for all the hard things in scripture, for all the hard teachings, I love that every single one of them is wrapped up for that it is by grace that we're saved. This is the fruit of the spirit. I love what Paul says in Romans, what a wretched man I am. Who is gonna ever save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it is through your son, Jesus Christ. So give us the strength to, to control and put parameters around our flesh and our desires and mostly help us to be connected to you and to your spirit that you would mold and shape us and transform us into your people. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen.